to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Generous God, in your mercy reconcile us. Grow us into your tree, which makes safe space for every person. Amen. This morning we are continuing in our summer sermon series titled, The Kingdom of Heaven is Like, in which Jesus likens, rather than defines, a kingdom called heaven. He compares, he likens this kingdom called heaven to the complexity and mystery of human activity, such as scattering seed, resting in trees, finding treasure, and casting nets. By exploring these parables, it's our sincere hope to encourage a community that more fully embodies a kingdom like heaven, which gestures toward the mystery of God and life of Christ in this world. Last week, Pastor Ben preached a beauty of a sermon in which he explained our difficulty in resting into a divine farmer who is so wonderfully generous that he lavishly, and some may even say foolishly, scatters seed everywhere. But before he got into that, Ben shared about the handmaid's tale in which the main character, Offred, finds herself submerged in a horrifying totalitarian world. And yet, in the midst of all that is horrifying, she hears a woman whisper to her these words, You can join us. To which Offred, completely surprised, asks, There's an us? There's an us? I love that question. It's an audacious hope kind of question. It's a tender longing kind of question. And I think it's a question that many people today who find themselves on the wrong side of empire or who find themselves doing well in empire but who are waking to all that is wrong about empire wonder, could this be different? Is there another way forward? How can everything, as frail and violent and broken as it is, change? And wonderfully, Surprisingly, into these very questions the Christ whispers into every weeping heart, there is an us. There is an us. But you see, the us that Jesus speaks of isn't binary. Like, now it's us against them. Our tribe is going to grow and get bigger and get stronger than your tribe. And through violence, we will destroy you. No, the us is a slowly growing, slowly rising enfleshment of all humankind. It is, as we'll see this morning, a kingdom of everyone. Or perhaps a better way to say it is, it's a citizenship of humanity in which every human is welcome 
and belongs. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is in a boat. He's surrounded by an enormous crowd on the shore, and and this crowd was most likely poor. This crowd was most likely Jewish, which meant that under Rome, this crowd had very few rights, very little opportunity, and millennia, millennia of experiences under the boot of various empires spanning Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome kind of like a person of color in the United States, or kind of like an incarcerated person in a corrupt and biased judicial system, or kind of like a sick person without insurance, or kind of like a houseless person in the Pearl District, or kind of like a woman or queer person in most churches today. And if you're a person like that, or if you're a person who is slowly waking to all that is wrong with that, then it's truly good news to hear Jesus say in Luke 4 that the gospel, good news, is freedom. It's healing, it's release, and it's the proclamation of God's favor on everyone and everything. Which, as we heard last week, is kind of like a farmer who, without restraint or reservation, scatters seed upon every person and every heart. There's an us Yes. But again, the us is not a bigger, better tribe that annihilates the other because in this kingdom, there is no other. But this is so radically different than most of our experiences in this world that it's hard to get our mind around the idea of an us being everyone. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, Jesus tells two parables, and each parable begins with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. In the first parable, just two verses in length, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And in the second parable, just one verse in length, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. These two parables are making the same point. In the first, a man plants a mustard seed that grows so big that it becomes a home for the birds of the air. In the second, a woman mixes yeast with flour, which causes the dough to rise. Uh, The point here has little to do with a mustard seed and yeast. Rather, the point here has everything to do with that which is rising. The mustard seed rises up, up into a tree, and the yeast mixed with flour rises up, up into a loaf of bread. The first parable tells us that the mustard seed rises into a tree that gives rest to the birds of the air. In the second parable, one verse shorter only tells us that the yeast mixed with flour rises. But in context to the mustard seed parable, I don't think it's a stretch to add our own second verse in which the bread rises to feed those who are hungry. Now, notice how in these two parables there is no discrimination. All kinds of birds rest in the tree. 
And I can only imagine that the bread feeds whoever eats it. And so you see, the kingdom of heaven is is like, it's like a seed that grows into a tree in which any bird can find rest. And the kingdom of heaven is like dough that rises into bread and feeds whoever eats it. And this brings me to two observations. Observation number one, the kingdom of heaven rises. It grows. And because the kingdom of heaven in these parables is about people, I think it's reasonable to say that the kingdom of heaven grows by including more and more people. More people to rest in a tree, more people to feast on a loaf of bread, more more people to rest and feast, more people to feast and rest. And so, when we see more people resting, or when we see more people feasting, well, it's then, it's in those very moments of resting and feasting, of of safety and dining, that we witness with our very own eyes a kingdom like, a kingdom like heaven. Now, to be clear, this isn't to say that the kingdom of heaven is absent of working and fasting. But that's not the point here. Religious people love to talk about God's kingdom as working and fasting. But working and fasting for the sake of working and fasting is not good news. The good news, you see, is that the kingdom of heaven is like a tree that grows to give rest. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven is like bread that rises to give food. And being well rested and having a full belly, well, it's rested in full people who are able to bear witness to its goodness. It's rested in full people who are able to discern the lack of its goodness in others who then, because of their rest and fullness, begin to work to ensure the rest and fullness of everybody else. And that's the whole point of our Eucharistic meal. Another gives so that we might receive. And having come to know the goodness of another's generosity, we are animated by our rest and by our fullness to become, to provide the meal for others. And animated by love, the tree grows. Animated by love, the bread rises. Animated by love, more birds find home. Animated by love, more people eat. And animated by love, the kingdom of heaven expands. Every time, any time a person finds rest, every time, any time a person is fed, we bear witness to the kingdom of heaven at hand. And this brings me to a second observation about these two small parables, which is the kingdom of heaven is clearly in these parables indiscriminate. Now, the word indiscriminate is an adjective, which means done at random or without careful judgment. Kind of like the farmer in last week's parable who lavishly scattered seeds on all kinds of ground, both lush ground and barren ground. You see, a tree doesn't have a say in who rests in its branches, just as a loaf of bread doesn't have a say in who eats it. The kingdom of heaven is indiscriminate. Come, 
come and rest. Come. Come and eat. Oh, but this is so countercultural, especially to what has been called religious life, which often declares believe these things, uh, behave in these ways, and you can rest. Or believe these things, behave in these ways, and you can eat. And perhaps you think I'm overstating my point here. But how about this? Become pro life, President Biden and you can partake in Eucharist. That's very recent news. Or remain with your abusive husband and you can partake in Eucharist. That is the experience of many partners in violent relationships. Or ignore your sexuality and you can partake in Eucharist. I could go on and on, but clearly religious people who say such things are not like trees or bread. They're much more like owners of trees and owners of bread. But if the kingdom of heaven is like trees and bread, then we humans are not the owners. It is not ours to say who can rest and who can eat. It is ours. We who find rest and food to become rest and food for others. And this, you see, is how the whole thing grows. I took last week off to celebrate our wedding anniversary. And then just a couple days after that, we celebrated our daughter Phoebe's birthday. She turned 14. (laughs) 14. I'm just going to say that one more time. Phoebe turned 14. At the end of Phoebe's birthday, we decided to watch a movie, and the kids decided to keep it lighthearted. They chose a movie called Rhea and the Last Dragon. In the movie, the world had, at one point, been united. It was called Kumandra. However, over time, Kumandra had been broken up into five warring nations. Heart, fang, tail, spine, and talon. But the nation Heart had what is called a dragon gem, which allowed that nation to flourish while all of the other nations despised Heart due to all of its splendor. As the movie progresses, Rhea's father, Chief Benja of Heart, decides to invite the other nations for a feast in hopes that a meal together can cause all of the nations to live together peacefully. Maybe even the meal could become impetus for uniting Kumandra once again. However, as delegates from each nation arrive, those from Fang deceive Heart, which causes the dragon gem to break into pieces. Delegates from each nation grab a piece of the gem and flee, and those who are unable to flee are turned into stone, including Rhea's father. Fast forward several years. Rhea is grown and living in a dystopian world. She's trying to get back all the pieces of the gem, hoping it can restore Hart's fortune. And naturally, very humanly, Rhea is filled with a special hate toward Fang due to the pain that their selfishness caused her and the whole world. Now, now stick with me here. Rhea brings a dragon named Sisu back to life, and together they try to find the gem pieces, but along the way they're confronted by Fang's heiress, Namari. Namari is the one who was responsible for breaking the dragon gem and killing Rhea's father. 
Because of this, Rhea wants to hurt Namari, but Sisu encourages Rhea to try and give her a chance to trust her, which she does. But Namari's not trustworthy, and she ends up killing the dragon Sisu. And so now, filled with even more hate, more like rage, Rhea, Rhea wants to punish Namari. But as the movie reaches its crescendo, Rhea realizes that she is merely becoming another version of Namari. And in the end, Rhea recalls what her father and Sisu taught her. She lets go of her desire for revenge, hands over the broken pieces of the gem to Namari, and she attempts to be the kind of person that she wants the world to become. Now, I know this is a Disney movie. <laughs> I also know that it was at the end of a very long day and I was exhausted, which means that I was in the feels. Oh, I was in the feels. But that doesn't take away from what the movie did in me. As Rhea offered the gem to Namari, if I'm being really honest with you, I had a visceral reaction. I was dying. I was dying inside. I was thinking of people who have hurt me, and I thought to myself, or perhaps I should say, I felt deeply within myself incredible resistance. Don't trust that person. Don't give to that person. Which is a lot like thinking that I'm the owner of trees and bread, the very gatekeeper of heaven itself. But of course, I'm not. I am simply a person who has been the fortunate recipient of many acts by many people who have helped to give me rest and bread, especially when I did not deserve rest and bread. And clearly, Rhea is a Christ figure who audaciously hopes and tenderly longs, wondering, could this be different? Is there another way forward? How can everything as frail and violent and broken as it is change? And wonderfully, surprisingly, into these very questions the Christ whispers into her weeping heart, there is an us. There is an us. Despite pain, despite sorrow, despite all that you've endured that makes you want to become the owner of trees and bread, ownership of basic goodness like rest and food is not heaven, it's hell. It's your hell and my hell because it constricts our hearts and believes the very worst in others. And this in turn becomes the hell of others. Because a person can very rarely work their way out of the prison that we put them in. And so the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a tree that grows and grows by giving indiscriminate rest to birds. And the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like dough that rises and indiscriminately feeds the hungry. And this growth, this rising? Well, it's not only your growth and rising, but it's the dawning of heaven in the life of every person upon whom your generous life shines. Beloved Pearl, you have been hurt in the worst of ways. 
so much so that you may have been convinced that ownership is the only way forward. Ownership. Control. Unceasing discrimination. And yet, the divine farmer continues to scatter seed everywhere. And the mustard seed is becoming a tree and the dough is rising and we are invited to unclench our fists. And we are invited to open up our very tender hearts to share whatever goodness that we have. Nothing more. For a person can only truly give from what they truly have. And if you have little... Or perhaps after this last year, or because of your life experiences, you have nothing, no goodness to give away because the goodness you have is barely enough for you. That is okay. You can simply and wonderfully and merely just be here. Rest in this tree. Eat this bread. And let's see over time what might grow as our hearts begin to open once more. Let us pray. Generous God, have mercy on us. Our broken relationships with you and one another have created a poverty in us and our neighbors. In your mercy, reconcile us. Grow us into your tree, which makes safe space for every person. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.